This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. Right, um, as the kids make their way out to their, their groups, I'll just give you a couple of quick notices. Um, so don't forget, next Saturday is the Alpha Away Day at Harn Hill in Sirencester. I am looking forward to that. Even more, I'm looking forward to a week um, or in fact, a month of celebrations for Hope's 10th birthday, starting with birthday cake next week. Orders from the cake tin. Come on, we're living it up. It's going to be awesome. We've also got to have a special Mother's Day service and other things uh, going on. So it's going to be a great, a great month, I'm sure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, Lord God, we set aside the, uh, the pressures, the stresses, the worries of the week. We turn our eyes to you, Lord God, and we say, teach us this morning what we need to learn. May our hearts be humble and teachable, our ears be open to hear what you want to say to us today. Amen. 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 Now, I wonder, I'm not going to make you stand up for this week's quiz, but just, just think about it yourselves. Have you ever said something that upset someone that when you were talking to them? You didn't mean to? But you said something and you're just like, you know that you've upset them. What about trying to say something that you thought was funny? They didn't think it was very funny at all. Have you ever said something and you think, I just wish I could take that back because I am physically stuck with this person now and I can't run away? (laughs) Have you ever done all three of those things at the same time in the same conversation? Let me tell you, a story, brothers and sisters. May I confess my sins to you this morning. I was young and foolish and full of the joys of life, much like I am still today. I was in Lisbon. I was in Portugal at a conference for my job at the time. I worked with a particular type of computer called tandem computers. And they were called tandem computers because they had two of everything on the inside. The idea being something could break and the computer would just keep on going. They're what's known as fault torrent computers. The power could fail and you wouldn't lose your work because they had batteries built into them to keep the memory going. Tandem computers powered the world's stock exchanges, banks, they built Porsche cars, they ran aircraft factories and aluminium refineries. In fact, any time you needed a computer that absolutely definitely must not fail, you should buy a tandem computer. It was what you needed. And those of us who work with them would often say to each other, these are the world's best-kept secret in the world of computing. A bit like Apple computers were back in the day when they first came out. Those who used them thought they were the best thing since sliced bread. And us tandem geeks often lamented the fact that tandem seemed to never spend any money on advertising. Here we were working with the world's coolest computers, One of my jobs, one day I remember, I was working at the London Stock Exchange. They had just put in this new tandem computer system, cost many millions of pounds. 
and they were testing that it would cope with uh, the busiest day of the year. Do you remember Black Friday when the stock market collapsed? It gets so busy for like one second when everyone's trying to buy and sell their shares. Well, what we did, we ran this computer at that transaction volume for a whole hour. And then my job was to go into the computer room at the London Stock Exchange, open the cabinet of the town of computer. These things were the size of walk-in fridges. They were massive. I would grab the CPU board in the middle that was running it and literally pull it out while it was running. And it just kept on going because it had two of everything. And then my second job was to walk up to the power control unit in the computer room of the London Stock Exchange. You know those big red buttons that you're not supposed to press that make it go silent? The one thing you never want to have is a silent computer room. My next job was to press the big red button. Dunk, everything went quiet. I had to wait five minutes. And I switched it all back on again. And everything just kept on going as if nothing had happened. That is how cool Tandem computers were. So there I was in Lisbon at the European Tandem User Group Conference. It was the end of the day. We all got put onto this fleet of coaches that were taking us from the conference center to some fancy restaurant in the middle of the Portuguese countryside for a fancy meal and a party paid for by our friends at Tandem. We all piled upon the coaches, not a seat to spare. So I sat down in the last seat next to this American chap with a big beard. I said, hello, I'm Mark. And he said, I'm Rob. So we sat there in silence for a few minutes in this full coach as it pulled out the car park and trundled off down the Portuguese motorway. So I thought, I'll break the ice. I'll tell a joke. I'll make a friend. I said, hey, Rob. I heard a funny joke today. What's the difference between the abominable snowman and a good advert for tandem computers? He looked at me. I said, well, some people claim to have seen the abominable snowman. Get it? Get it? <laughs> Tumbleweed. It's a hard crowd, I thought. So I said, Rob, what do you do? He said, I'm the marketing manager for Tanner Computers. <laughs> you won't believe how long that coach ride felt. <laughs> Today is episode 107 in our teaching series, The Promise and the Purpose. And we're in chapter 17 of the Gospel of Luke. Now, after the last few weeks, the last few chapters, Jesus has been teaching his disciples and the crowd that's gathered around him all about the kingdom of God mostly by sharing parables and often taking swipes at the Pharisees who are there in the crowd as well. The religious leaders of the day who were great at following rules and experts at missing the point that God was trying to make. But now Jesus turns his attention to his disciples and he says, Luke chapter 17 verse 1, reading from the ESV translation, he, he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he was cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. So pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, you rebuke him. If he repents, you forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, then you must forgive him. So I want to start just by focusing on that first verse for a second. 
because I don't think the ESV translation gets across what Jesus is trying to say. If we take a quick peek at the Greek, the word translated as temptations to sin, okay, is this word scandalon, which literally means to cause to stumble or to become a stumbling block. It also means a trap or a snare, okay, like a poacher's trap or snare. So just comparing how a couple of different translations have treated this first sentence. In the New King James, it says, Jesus says to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they come. The NIV says, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. And the the CSB translation says, Jesus says to his disciples, offenses will certainly come, but woe to the one through whom they come. So this word scandal, it gets translated lots of different ways in different translations. Now, our English word scandal comes from this same root. It is, according to the dictionary, offence given through the fault of others. There's that word again, isn't it? Offence. But what Jesus is getting at is not simply you being offended by something. And I think this is what the ESV translators are getting at when they translate it as temptations to sin. You see, there's a difference between recognizing what someone says as offensive or upsetting and taking offense. Yeah, those are two different things. Because when you recognize something as offensive, okay, you're simply saying, well, that was rude. That upset me. Okay, I found that upset. It's a statement of fact. It's how you felt. Nothing wrong with that. But the temptation is to take offense. Yeah, when you take something, you pick it up, don't you? You carry it with you. You hold onto it. Jesus is saying, if you fall for the temptation to pick up and carry that offense away with you, that's not how my disciples should behave. This is what Jesus is saying. Why? Because it's a trap or a snare. The other meaning of the word scandal on. It's a stumbling block for you, the person who's picked it up and taken it away. Because when you take offense because of what someone else did or said, or what they didn't do or what they didn't say, you're the one who ends up stumbling. You're the one who falls into a trap and it breaks fellowship. It causes divisions in families. It causes divisions in the church. Yeah, the main reason why Christians leave churches is because they take offense at something that someone did or didn't do, said or didn't say. And Jesus is saying, don't fall into that trap. Don't be tempted to pick up that offense and take it away with you. There's another interesting uh, version of the Bible. It's called the Passion Translation. Some would argue whether it's a translation. But it's, it's based not on the Greek uh, scriptures that most of our translations are based on, but it's based on the Aramaic scriptures, all those ancient uh, texts. And it, and it just brings an interesting other insight as well. So for the, the, the layman in Jesus' day and in the early church, people who didn't speak Greek, they spoke Aramaic, the words that Jesus spoke. This is what the, the Passion Bible says. One day Jesus taught his disciples this, betrayals are inevitable, but great devastation will come to the one guilty of betraying others. A betrayal is, a, is an even stronger form of, of offence, isn't it? If someone really, you could feel betrayed. That they, why would they say that? Why would they do that? Why didn't they do the thing I expected them to do? 
But it's all in the same family of feelings, isn't it? Stumbling, offence, betrayal. And this is what Jesus is getting at. Here's the question, here's the challenge to us. How do we respond as Christians when we feel betrayed? Do we respond with forgiveness or do we pick up that offence and take it away with us? Now Jesus doesn't let his disciples off the hook easily at all because there's another temptation to sin that comes up in this kind of situation. It's the temptation to judge the person who's been hurt or offended, to think that they should just get over it. Stop being such a snowflake. You're supposed to forgive people, you know. That's what Jesus said. Why are you holding on to this grudge? Well, just to put the smug Christians back in their place, Jesus says, look, everyone here is equally responsible. Yeah, what did Jesus say? The second half of that sentence. Offences will certainly come, but woe to the one through whom they come. Woe. Woe isn't talking about how you control your horse. He's saying, look out. You better watch out. Jesus says, to the one who caused that offence in the first place, the one who put that stumbling block or that trap in someone else's path, then you better watch out. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He's talking to his brothers and sisters. He's saying, family, this is how I want you to behave. This is how I want God's family to be treating each other. Jesus says, listen up. Offences, betrayals will happen for certain. That's what Jesus says, right? Why? Because he knows that his church is full of people just like you and me who are going to mess stuff up all the time. So Jesus says, when that happens, it certainly will happen. When someone does something or doesn't do something which causes you to feel upset or betrayed, do not fall into the trap of allowing that to become a stumbling block that causes division in my family. And equally, or maybe even more so, don't you dare be the person that causes that offence in the first place. Don't be so thoughtless in the way that you interact with your brothers and sisters. Are we receiving the message here, church? In fact, Jesus goes on. He said, really turning his attention on the person who caused that stumble in the first place. What does he say? He said, it would be better for him to have a millstone wrapped around his neck and thrown into the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Now, a millstone is a huge lump of rock. In fact, here's, a, here's a picture of the... Hard to see. It's the millstone at Shipton Mill near Tetbury, where I buy my bread flour. It looks like a shiny piano case, doesn't it? But the, the millstone is inside that polished bit of wood. And, I mean, that's about the size of a grand piano, right? And it weighs as much as a small car. And that hole in the top, that's where the flour drops down and the millstone inside turns and it grinds the wheat into flour. So Jesus said, it would be better for you if you tied that around your neck and jumped into the sea than if you were to start causing offence in my church, to hurt or betray other people. Or betray one of my, he says, little ones. He says, little ones. I don't think he means children. There's been no children in this story up until this point. He's talking about little ones as in all these new believers 
all these young Christians, that's what he means. Those people who are new to the faith, or those people in the crowd. That contrasting to the disciples, he's just been, to the Pharisees rather, that Jesus has been talking about a lot. He's saying to his disciples, look lads, don't you be like those Pharisees. Don't go making it harder for people to draw near to God because of the way that you behave. Right? I don't want anyone being put off becoming a Christian because of the way Christians behave. That's what Jesus is really saying. Okay? And he takes no sides. When it comes to resolving these inevitable conflicts between flawed human beings, it's rarely a case of either or. It's nearly always a case of both and when it comes to who's right and who's wrong. Now imagine, just imagine, just something that would never happen. Imagine that me and Steve had a falling out, right? He says something to me and I take offence. He calls me a soft southerner. I say, oh, yeah, northern. (laughs) Imagine... Imagine that. (laughs) Imagine that we could go and see Jesus in his office, right? Jesus is sat there in his office. We knock on the door. Imagine going to have a conversation with Jesus. Me and Steve go in. And I said, Jesus, Steve's been mean to me. I want you to tell him off. I don't want to work with him anymore. Because why do I want to work with him anymore? Southern softy Watson. He's always complaining about something. I'm like, tell him off, Jesus. Make him say sorry, Jesus. Imagine what Jesus might say based on his attitudes that we'll just be learning about. I think he might say, well, you must say sorry. And he'll say, well, and then wipe that smug smile off your face, Mark. I'm talking to you. You've got to say sorry to Steve for taking offense at the thing that he said rather than offering forgiveness. And you, Steve, you need to apologize and make it right for the thing that you said. In other words, you're both in the wrong here. If it gets to the point of that you're coming to me asking to arbitrate between who's right and who's wrong, you've missed the point. You shouldn't have let it get that far. You're both in the wrong. Yeah, we must not become a stumbling block or allow ourselves to stumble and fall into that trap of taking offence. Jesus goes on in verse 3. He says, listen, be on your guard if your brother sins. He's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, it's inclusive language. If another Christian sins, you rebuke them. If he repents, you forgive him. If he does it again seven times in a day, but comes back seven times and says, I repent. What does Jesus say? You must forgive him. As I was reading this, it felt a bit like a tennis match with a point of view, ping-ponging as Jesus just gives everyone a hard time for behaving like children. He starts, first of all, talking to the person who gets offended and says, look, don't be so easy to take offence. Then he turns to the one who caused the offence in the first place and says, oi, behave. Don't do anything or say anything that could cause someone else to stumble. Because if you do, I'll hold you accountable for putting that stumbling block and trap in their footpath to begin with. And then he turns back to the first person and says, well, watch out, because if someone upsets you, but then says they're sorry, I want you to forgive them. End of the story. And if they do it again, and they apologize again, forgive them again. Even if they do it seven times in a single day. 
And seven times in a day is just a Jewish colloquial saying that means all the time, every time. If they keep on messing up, if they keep on upsetting you, you have to keep on forgiving them. Which, if we're honest, is a hard teaching, right? If you've really been hurt by someone, if someone really did let you down, it could be hard to find that forgiveness. In fact, the disciples say so much in the next verse, just to peek ahead. They said, Lord, increase our faith. That sounds really hard to do. If that's the standard you're going to hold us to, Lord, we're going to need your help. And in fact, I think this really must have played on their minds because jumping forwards to uh, later Matthew's gospel, Peter comes back to the same topic. Matthew 18, verse 21, it says, Peter approached Jesus and says, Lord, how many times am I supposed to give my brother or sister sins against me? Was it seven times that you said? Is that the, is that the, the law? Jesus, uh, Peter is still thinking like a Pharisee. Go, what's the law? What's the rule? How many times do I have to? What's the limit I'm supposed to be working to? And Jesus says, look, I tell you, not, not seven times, but 70 times seven. In other words, it's not a number. Okay, it's not a law you're working to. It is as many times as is needed. Because guess what? How many times does Father God forgive us? As many times as is needed. And that's the standard, isn't it? The prayer that Jesus taught us, yeah, the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. Right? As many times as is needed. But just to clarify something before I move on. What we're talking about here is the everyday relationships between members of God's family. This is not a command that tells people to stay in unhealthy or unsafe relationships. You can forgive someone and move on if you need to. Right? Don't take the teaching out of context. If someone is hurting you on purpose, you don't have to stay in that abusive or manipulative relationship. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the everyday ups and downs that go on between brothers and sisters and families. It's the, she walked right past me. She didn't even say hello. Call herself a Christian. I'm not going back to that church. That's the stuff that Jesus is talking about that he wants us to stop doing. Now, the purpose of today's teaching from Jesus is to show us a better way to live together the way that Yahweh wants his children to behave towards each other in the everyday whirlwind of life. Yeah, and it's also a rather sobering promise that we are held accountable for the things that we do that upset other people. We need to be more aware and more careful and more loving to others. Be quick to repent, quick to apologize and put things right if we're the one that's in the wrong. Even if we don't think we're in the wrong, if they're upset, we need to go and apologize and make it right. So as the band comes to lead us in the final song, yeah, we have an opportunity here that, to settle things with the Lord if we need to. If you've been holding on to an offense, now's the time to let it go. Now, offense like unforgiveness, it's been described as a, as a hot coal from a fire. If you hold on to it, the only person who gets hurt is you. And if you think someone is upset with you because of what you did or said, 
If you were the stumbling block, if your behavior put a trap in front of them that they fell into, resolve to put that right this week. Apologize. As we sing this final song, my chains are gone, I've been set free. For you, let those be the chains of offense that maybe are holding you back in your walk with the Lord. Because as it says in Romans, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And that starts in our family of believers. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that this morning you would set us free from the hurts that we feel from the way other people have behaved or not behaved towards us. Lord God, draw to our minds and our recollections things that we need to put right if we've caused offence, Lord God, if we've been a stumbling block. Help us to be more aware of other people's feelings so that this community of believers can grow and flourish and that people will know we are Christians by our love one another.